0: I think it's just like a societally ingrained idea for men and women but particularly women I think it's marketed to us more that like you know you need another half you're like one half of a person you're not like complete until you found that it's kind of like the narrative in every rom-com it's like she's beautiful she's successful she's got loads of friends she's got everything going on but she's single dun 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 so She's gonna need a relationship by the end of this. Otherwise, what is she really achieving in her life? If someone's romantically in love with her and she's not romantically in love with someone, then she hasn't really, she's not really living. Dating can be a total
1: minefield. Trust me, I'm a love coach, but it doesn't have to be. I'm Lucy Cavendish and I'm the Later Data. I'm single in my 50s. I've got kids and I'm busy, but I really want to go out and meet people and find out all about dating. But it's moved on since I was in my 20s and I'm keen to know what else is out there and what are other ways of doing things. From Aura Studios, this is Later Data, a podcast for the curious, exploring everything across the dating spectrum from online. To up close and very personal. I've had lots of fascinating conversations with people who date in different ways. And I think there's pretty much someone out there for everyone. There's billions of people in the world. So when people come to me as a love coach and say they can't meet anyone, I think, well, you know, of course you can. It's just a case of finding them. But what if you have no interest in having a sexual or romantic relationship with anyone? I've really thought about that and I actually have found that a really difficult concept. And it's because when I was a little girl, I used to sit at the French windows uh, singing a song which was called The Princess of France, sitting at the window. I don't know. I think my mother taught it to me. Waiting for my prince to come, and I would have lots and lots of fantasies around what's he going to look like, and what we're going to do together, and you know how wonderful it's going to be. And it was very Disney esque. Um, and I have to say, obviously, I'm single, so um, it did happen quite a few times, but it didn't last. So I'm really interested to know what it's like to be asexual, because obviously we have relationships friendships, relationships with our family that do last. So I'm fascinated to hear from someone who's going to tell me much more about that. Today, I'm talking to Yasmin Benoit. Yasmin is an award-winning activist, writer and model who promotes the visibility of asexuality, aromanticism and LGBTQ plus people of colour. So hi, Yasmin, and thank you for being on the podcast. Thanks for having me. So when did you first know you weren't interested in anyone romantically or sexually?
0: Um, around the same time as everyone else realized that they were, so early puberty. I think that's when everyone's uh, sexuality and interests started to be directed towards other people. And so it's like late primary school when I realized that I wasn't really on the same wavelength, but. It wasn't something that became particularly obvious until i was a teenager
1: so what were you sort of seeing around you that you thought other people around you looking back on it were experiencing and you and you weren't
0: i always compare it to that scene in the walking dead like season one episode one where rick grimes wakes up and like the world has changed it was like i came back after the summer holidays and everyone just went from like playing together skipping together playing like Legos to like wanting to date each other and fighting in the canteen over boys and girls couldn't just hang out with boys anymore and it was like who do you fancy who do you want to go out with like everything just the hormones kicked in everyone just like switched and I was like I am not interested in any of this stuff and that was kind of when I thought okay this is different but I assumed it would happen to me like it would just kick in in a few more years but it didn't I was perpetually uninterested (laughs) yeah that's that's interesting that that's true there's that
1: moment I think you're right where suddenly people go from hanging out and being friends to there being a slightly different feeling around it It all gets much more complicated but you know when I was a little kid we used to play kiss chase all the time in in the
0: playground did you have that when you were little Yeah. But then, you know, you were trying to avoid the kiss. The kiss was like the bad thing. It was like you had cooties. So it wasn't, you didn't want to get caught. Like you didn't want to get kissed. So then it was kind of like the opposite. People did want to get kissed. And I was like, oh, we've, we've, we've changed (laughs) all of a
1: sudden. Yeah, I remember that. There was a one girl that really wanted to be kissed. And we were all like, ooh, you know, like, why would you want that? (laughs) You want (laughs) to run away? Yeah. So, how would you describe asexuality what could you give us some some descriptions of that? what that means?
0: Yeah, it just means not experiencing sexual attraction towards anyone regardless of their gender. So it's like having a sexual orientation that's just not oriented anywhere. you felt it would kick in at a later age and then it didn't kick in yeah i mean i I kind of assumed that you know it's all hormonal, so by the time I'm like a teenager, then I'll probably also be grabbing girls by the hair because they have a crush on the boy I have a crush on and things like that. I was never sexually attracted to people. I was never romantically interested in people, which isn't because I'm asexual. That's because I'm a romantic, which means that I don't experience romantic attraction either. And yeah, it just kind of always stayed like that. What
1: would you describe as romantic attraction? So you're saying you're aromantic, but what did you feel was romantic attraction that you don't, that you feel you don't experience?
0: That's exactly it. (laughs) I can't tell you what romantic attraction is (laughs) because I don't experience it at all. And it's a very subjective experience. But whatever that thing is, I'm like, it doesn't compute to me. Platonic relationships are very much the focus. I've never, wanted a boyfriend or a girlfriend. I've never had any remote interest in that at all. I've never seen that for myself. It's not the way my emotions manifest in people. It doesn't manifest in a romantic way. My way of expressing things wouldn't happen in a romantic way and it wouldn't be for romantic reasons. So it's just not how things go for me. Did you find that quite confusing when you were younger?
1: I mean, I, I was brought up as as many girls and maybe boys are too on that kind of romantic notion of the one and the someone's going to cut, you know, all those stories that aren't necessarily helpful. Did you have those stories around for you?
0: I mean, I'm sure I did, but I just never saw the relevance to myself. So I didn't really process it. Like it was, I, I reunited with a old friend from when, like, we'd known each other since we were really little kids. And she had memories of me that I didn't even have. But when we were talking about, like, my orientations now, she was like, that makes perfect sense. Because even when we were little, and I'd be like, yeah, one day, like, I'll move into a place with my boyfriend, and i will be like, yeah, and I could be, like, your roommate or something. Like, I never, it never, never ever said it. it, never crossed my mind, even though I was constantly surrounded by those messages. And I was like, wow, even, like, when I was, like, really little, I didn't even think about it. I assumed I might have done, but apparently... Even then, I, it never crossed my mind. So I, don't, I just didn't really see the relevance to myself. Can you be aromantic, but not asexual? Or do you think
1: they, they, they sort of work together as it were?
0: I mean, for me, I think they probably do work together, but you can be asexual and not be aromantic. You could be aromantic and not be asexual. I'm sure lots of people know someone who's interested in sexual relationships and not romantic ones. You know, it's not like a far-fetched concept. And then, you know, you could have romantic attraction without sexual attraction. And there are lots of asexual people who are in romantic relationships, but there are also quite a lot of people that are asexual and romantic and are both. So it kind of just depends. And when you discovered that about
1: yourself or sort of realized that people had whatever feelings that you didn't have, how did you work with them with yourself? How did you end up coming into the place you are now?
0: I mean, I didn't really care at the time. It's more other people that placed emphasis on it. I mean, you don't tend to place emphasis on what you're not experiencing. And it's like, I had a lot of other things (laughs) going on as a teenager. It's like, there's so many other things you have to think about. So if anything, I was like, great, this is one thing I don't have to worry about. It was more other people that were like, okay, so what's wrong with you? You need to explain this. We need to work you out. Like, we need to interrogate you. We need to make you second guess yourself. And that was kind of more the complication I think if I'd just been left to my own devices I wouldn't have really had much of a hurdle because I really wasn't worried about it at all I was quite happy with how things turned out and I'm happy about how things turned out now but that's kind of in um despite what other people wanted me to feel about it
1: they found it really difficult to comprehend that did they
0: yeah I mean at school and stuff and not just at school pretty sure like adults probably asked my mom about it and stuff they you know they didn't understand why I wasn't interested in any of the things you're supposed to be interested in and at that age you're it's very much an expectation it's like that's what defines that era of your life is like h- how you're experiencing your sexuality and your romantic relationships is kind of like everything that's like meant to be hardwired into a teenage girl's experience of that age and so it was quite obvious that i wasn't doing anything and i wasn't trying to do anything and so Yeah, people were like, What's your deal? Like, are you gay? Are you traumatized? Are you ill? Like, what is wrong with you? And so you then had to do a lot, like an almost unnecessary amount of self analysis. But I think as an adult, it's probably a good thing that I'm (laughs) very self aware now. But at the time, like, you know, I had to do a lot of deep diving because people wouldn't stop asking me questions.
1: That must, that sounds like it was, you know, very confusing, especially given the fact you're a teenager, which, as you said, is a really confusing time anyway. But you're saying you did a lot of self-analysis. So what you had to question your own self, really because other people were saying, what's wrong with you? Rather than you saying, there's something wrong with me. You weren't feeling that way.
0: Yeah, I mean, when people, so many people automatically are like, okay, well, there must be something wrong with you. After a while, you're going to be like, do they know something I don't know about myself? Which is statistically unlikely, but you know, you kind of have to try and dig deep into your own psyche and work out what, it might possibly be and whether they're right. Um, I concluded that they weren't, but that didn't really make that much of a difference.
1: How do you feel about the representation of asexual people in the media now?
0: I mean, there isn't really a lot of it, but I was never particularly impressed. But I think fortunately, I've gone through so much of my life never having any kind of representation. I mean, there were hardly even black girls on TV when I was a kid. So I'm, I'm kind of like not personally dependent on it, fortunately but yeah there isn't really much and whenever it is it's usually like either a teenage white girl or like a 30 something year old white man <laughs> and that's kind of as far as it it goes in terms of like mainstream examples so i think the most famous asexual character in the world is probably spongebob squarepants and like what am i supposed to gain out of spongebob so yeah, he's not just asexual he he lives under the sea and it's like a sponge yeah so he's kind of we <laughs> 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 not gonna get anything there for you yeah i mean i was yeah i was never particularly impressed by it i always felt like It was always a preference for romantic asexual people. People don't really like aromantic asexuals. They don't really know what to do with that as a narrative. They don't really know how to build upon that. So it's usually very much like, oh, they're asexual, but don't worry. They're one of the good ones. They're not one of those weird ones that don't experience romantic attraction. And yeah, I just never really relate to any of it, which is kind of how I ended up doing what I do now, because who could represent me better than myself?
1: So tell me what you do now. How do you represent yourself? Tell me about that.
0: Well, I mean, I've always incorporated asexuality into my modeling. So I do a lot of that. I'm a writer. I've written articles for like Vogue, GQ, Huffington Post, Glamour, Cosmo, a bunch of places. I am a speaker. I speak at businesses and events and stuff quite often. I just launched the UK's first ever asexual rights initiative and partnership with stonewall and i'm a board member of ace organizations and i'm i know i've just kind of ended up filling the void that was there the fact that like i get invited to do things like this and i'm like the voice that people think to go to is Example of the representation that I never really saw.
1: What is the messaging that you're saying? Because obviously, like you said, there's a void. You're filling that void with your life, with yourself. What is the messaging that you're saying to people, uh, especially to people who are thinking, "Well, well, maybe I also feel that way."
0: Yeah, I mean, my message is always, you know, there's no one way to be asexual. There's no asexual look. There's no asexual way to look or dress, and that you can be asexual and confident and happy and live a perfectly fulfilling life you don't have to be some like nervous shrinking wallflower who's like depressed about it and i think people have a preference for asexual people being like broken and insecure and unable to function in this sexualized world and that's kind of like people don't want you to be too happy or too content they want people that are different to feel different and to feel like there's something wrong with them so they can be pressured to conform and I kind of want to represent the opposite of that.
1: You're right. You're not conforming to what people like people to do, which is, you know, being couples or, you know, be in a very sexualized world and you're you're not doing that. How did you first discover a community of people or or did you not really discover a community of people?
0: Because I think when I was like 15, I was kind of a teenager during like the Tumblr era. So it wasn't too hard to find out about sexual orientations that were not... The most common ones um so so i mentioned asexuality to me and i googled it and i kind of saw that there was a community online and stuff and i saw that all these things existed but i didn't really care at the time i just took the definition around of it i was like i don't need to be part of some online bubble it wasn't really until because when you're a model it's kind of compulsory like you have to be on social media because that's kind of like how you promote yourself and that was kind of how I started noticing and engaging with more asexual content. But I wasn't really part of the community or trying to be part of the community. It was just like when I started speaking about it, the community found me. And then before I knew it, I wasn't just like in it. I was kind of like a figure for it. And you're happy about
1: being a figure for it because obviously, you know, you talk about it now. You have become a figurehead for asexuality and a romanticism. Is that something that's comfortable with you or is it a place you've just ended up being?
0: I mean, it's a place I've just ended up being, but I mean, I've made my peace with it. There are pros and cons to it. it. It kind of means you can't just be in your community like a normal person. You can't just kind of like, you know, just engage in a normal way because you're kind of seen as being like a, I know you kind of have to perform a certain role all the time. So that part of it's kind of weird, but like I take the responsibility that comes with it seriously. And I think I, or at least I tried to do a pretty good job in I don't just take that like that attention and just use it for like nefarious reasons. I try and make sure everything I do is constructive and helpful. So, it's given me a different path than what I expected in life or at this stage in my life. But it's fun. So I imagine there are people out
1: there who probably don't believe you. They probably think I can, you know, turn her head. You know, you're a beautiful. <laughs> looking person do you get people sort of going yeah but you know maybe if you're with me you'd
0: feel romantic or you'd feel (laughs) sexual do do you get people sort of hitting on you in that way yeah I mean people try they really overestimate themselves in that capacity but it's kind of like you know it's not a reflection of who I'm around. It's not like you know, if you were better looking, then I'd be sexually attracted to you. If you were like nicer or sweeter, then I'd be romantically attracted to you. Like I'm around very sweet, very good looking people all the time. It doesn't make a difference. It's just someone's sexual orientation. I think it just kind of comes from people not really understanding that it's a sexual orientation and not just like a lifestyle choice. But then also those people that say that kind of thing to lesbians, like they just don't. They're just entitled. <laughs> they don't really take no for an answer. But. Sometimes I think it just comes from people not really knowing what asexuality is and thinking that you're just saying that you're like prude or celibate or hesitant or something.
1: Okay. So in a nutshell, when you get these people and you're saying they don't understand what asexuality is, what is it exactly? So if someone keeps saying to you, well, you know, surely you might want to be this or that. And you're like, no, it's also, you know, sexual orientation. What, what do you say to make it really clear to people about this is what asexuality is?
0: I was like, imagine not being gay, not being straight, not being bi, not being anything. It's like that. <laughs> I'm not sexually attra- Like, it doesn't matter who, what gender you are. It doesn't matter who you are. It's like, I'm not, I don't experience sexual attraction. So it's a no. In the same way, like if a guy's saying it and they're like a straight guy, it's like, you know, it's like, a, it's a good looking guy comes up to you. It's like, it's not going to make you gay, is it? Like, it's, it's <laughs> there's nothing you can do about it.
1: And <laughs> I bet some people probably find that quite, um, difficult how how do people generally react i'm not saying you go around telling everybody every single bit of the day but you know you're an activist so obviously you you are in the public eye how how do people react to you do you get trolled or do you get people that are supportive what what happens
0: i mean there's definitely people who are supportive i mean i think asexual people like they get it totally Um, but yeah, I mean, there's definitely people that don't believe me. They don't think I should look the way I do if I'm asexual. They don't think I should model if I'm asexual. They think I'm just faking it that I'm kind of trying to, I don't know, get attention or I'm just trying to be like a tease or yeah, I mean, yeah, you get men that are weird about it. You also get women that are weird about it too. (laughs) So it's, yeah, I get a lot of strange reactions. (laughs) Are uh, men and women weird in different ways or or not really? Not as much as you'd hope. <laughs> you'd hope that men were weirder, but...
1: <laughs> I was hoping you were going to say that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's what I would hope. I would hope it would be men that were weird, but uh, no, there's definitely been a rise in women that are also as weird as men. About it. It's a very particular group. I tend to upset um, radical feminists a lot. <laughs> for some reason I wonder why that is it's weird because it's kind of like you know like the kind of like radical feminists that really don't like trans people I mean I'm not trans but they tend to really not like me either and yeah I never really are tell what their motivation is because I'm not doing anything that should be offensive to feminism I mean I think of myself as being a feminist person but yeah they don't like women that could be perceived as sexual and they perceive me as being very sexual and then they don't like it that i'm saying i'm asexual it's kind of the same thing as what guys say and um they think i should just cease to be i guess because they see
1: you as something else when they then visually or they put they project whatever onto you about who you might be and then when you're not they don't like it
0: yeah which is very much what guys do as well so it's really ironic that the mentality is so similar between weird sexist guys and supposedly feminist women (laughs) but it's a weird kind of feminist like it's not my kind of feminism if that's the way it goes but it's definitely increasingly common for me like a good chunk of the hate i get comes from like older women it's really weird and how do you deal with
1: it when you get this hate It's it's a lot to deal with isn't it
0: it's frustrating i think it's particularly frustrating when it comes from women i mean i think as a woman you're kind of used to men doing weird stuff you kind of get used to it like, if a man shouts at you in the street, I'm not going to go home and cry about it. I'm just kind of like, oh, that again. But it's more disappointing when other women do it to other women with the same, like, kind of vitriol and, like, angst behind it. I never really understood that. And it's, yeah, so that's kind of annoying because it's, like, it's not, like, a natural kind of sexualization. Like, if it's, like, a straight guy and it's, like, you know, you're just taking it too far. But it's like, this is a woman that isn't even attracted to you, but she's still being like really inappropriate. So it's like, it's, it's, it's coming from a weird place and it baffles me. Do you find that actually...
1: Because your life isn't going to be about sexual and romantic relationships, although I'm not saying it's not about relationships, friendships, and family and everything, does that give you a lot of time to just go, okay, I don't have to, hooray, I don't, you know, that's not me. So I can do (laughs)
0: lots of other stuff with my life because I don't need to, that's not part of my life. I think it does save me some time. I mean, I guess it kind of depends on how much, I mean, different people dedicate different amounts of time to their to pursuing romantic relationships and sexual relationships and all those things. But for some people, like they find being single stressful and they find finding relationships stressful and then maintaining relationships stressful and then recovering from relationships stressful and then going into the next one. And some people, you know, if they really do want to have sex and they're having trouble finding someone to have sex with, I like that. And then navigating the the sex itself. And then like, you know, that can also be very time consuming. And so, I'm glad that I don't have to deal with that. I would It would be a lie to say that I use every ounce of my time as incredibly constructively. I play a lot of Sims 4, I probably could be spending that time doing something else. But I i do think that it has, you know, there were aspects of, you know, going through university and stuff where it's like, I was, pre- aside from video gaming, I was pretty focused and I wasn't really having extra baggage on top of like other things you already have in life. So I'm kind of glad about that. <laughs> you're
1: totally right about all that stress when you put it that way I'm like yeah that's actually really stressful getting in a relationship getting out of a relationship all that all that you've just said do friends come and sort of use you as an agony aunt do they come and, and offload on you a bit and say you know help me or, or or do they think well I can't talk to Yasmin because this is just going to not be an area she wants to talk to me about
0: how does that work I mean, well, for right now, I think most of my friends are single. I guess I just gravitate towards people that are single. But whenever I have had friends who, you know, are having trouble with that, I mean, people do talk to me about it. I found sometimes that, like, I think especially with guys, and I have quite a few guy friends, is that when they realize that you're not sexually attracted to them and you're not romantically attracted to them, they feel like, you know, they can just kind of see you as, like, a proper because I think it's like a thing that that people have in the back of their minds if there's any potential for a relationship there they they portray themselves slightly differently and try to always you know avoid vulnerabilities and make sure that they're you know coming across in a way that will always be attractive but then when it's like oh you don't have to worry about that like it wouldn't happen and that's not a reflection of you then it's kind of like oh thank god because I was really worried about this and I'm insecure about this and I'm thinking about this and then it's like they all of these things just unload because they're like You're not going to judge me and be like, oh, God, well, I'd never date him now. Because that that wasn't on the table in the first place. So I think in those ways, I found it can be quite helpful for people to be like, okay, you're going to be like objective and you're not going to be like, oh, you're going to be a bad partner or nothing will ever happen with us now. They just kind of feel more relaxed. So in that sense, I think it can be quite helpful.
1: It's fascinating, isn't it? So actually, people can be truly themselves with you because they're not trying to impress you (laughs) that's fantastic (laughs) so you see people probably in a in a very true light
0: i mean sometimes i mean i would say it happens all the time but there's definitely be instances where i can literally see a weight i think it happens in men more they can just see the body language change where they're like oh my god okay well, I was wondering about this. So there was this aspect of my sexuality. I was always like wondering about, but you know, I didn't, you can't just say that to a woman because <laughs> then she might be like, Oh God, you're not, you know, that's kind of odd. But then, you know, for me, it's just like, I'm just, I just take it as it is. And so, yeah, I have definitely noticed that with guys in particular. <laughs> and do people
1: feel, do you think people feel there's an attitude that you can't be complete unless you're with a partner? Is that an attitude you come across?
0: Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's not something people would say to my face nowadays, but I think it's just like a societally ingrained idea for men and women, but particularly women. I think it's marketed to us more that like, you know, you need another half. You're like one half of a person. You're not like complete until you found that. It's kind of like the narrative in every rom-com. It's like, she's beautiful. She's successful. She's got loads of friends. She's got everything going on, but she's single. Dun, dun, dun. So... She's going to need a relationship by the end of this. Otherwise, what is she really achieving in her life? If someone's romantically in love with her and she's not romantically in love with someone and she hasn't really, she's not really living. <laughs> Even if this relationship is like super shallow and toxic or whatever, it doesn't matter. It's just like, she just shouldn't be a yeah. single person. So I think that's very much a mentality. And I, you know, I see that in people where they're, I see asexual people and romantic people who are like, I'm not ticking these boxes and these expectations like will i be able to live a fulfilling life and i see people that aren't asexual and aren't aromantic who are like i mean everything's fine but i'm still you know i'm still single and so i don't know whether you know and that like stresses them out and they and they're insecure about it and they take it as a reflection of their entire self and their value and i think it's really sad that people think like that and that people are made to think like that
1: yeah, I mean, there is some feeling, isn't there, that if you're not one of the two, somehow you haven't been chosen, you know, and you failed in the game of romantic, you know, love. You know, it's nobody wants you and so you're single and that's a bad thing. Whereas, um, of course, that's not necessarily true at all. Have you seen the perception of asexual people change in the last
0: few years? no. Strangely not. No, I feel like it's been kind of stunted <laughs> for a good while. I like I can see I see like interviews and stuff that people doing what I do now, but were are doing it like 20 years ago. I see the questions they're asked or the things that people said back then. It's exactly the same as it is now. And it's been <laughs> 20 years. And if you were to compare that to like, I don't know, homosexuality or being trans, like what did people say 20 years ago compared to now, there's been some kind of evolution, but not so much for asexuality, because it's never really had that breakthrough yet. So it's just kind of been on the outskirts. So I feel like people are kind of at, almost as clueless now as they were a while ago. Yes,
1: I think that's really true. So what form does your activism take? What are you trying to get across for people? I mean, there are people out there that must really respond to to what you're saying.
0: There's so many, like, areas that asexuality hasn't been included in, So, and I have quite a diverse range of interests, so I just try to insert myself into as many as possible. So if it's, you know, going to a university and then speaking with students and there's that kind of thing, not only am I giving a presentation that's hopefully educational, but answering people's questions and hopefully making them feel a bit better. And then there's, you know, social media stuff where – is usually me just like writing articles about it that people like or speaking in different places or doing research. I think research is really important. I've always valued research because that was kind of like what I was studying. I think that, you know, having data and evidence really helps to kind of legitimize things. And so I've always been interested in working in that area. And now I kind of get to do that for the project I'm doing with Stonewall. So It takes a lot of different areas, but I think the message overall is just that, you know, asexuality is like a real thing and it's not a problem. And I think it's beneficial for everyone across society to understand what asexuality is, because I feel like our conversations about sexuality have diversified quite a lot. And I think everyone can learn things from different aspects of these conversations, but asexuality is still missing from the conversation. And I think everyone can learn a little bit. About themselves whether they're asexual or not, just by taking it into consideration.
1: Yeah. So that sounds really helpful. And and do you get a lot of people responding to you? Do people come forward and say, actually, I think I'm asexual and aromantic. And I, I just hadn't really, I, I didn't know how to talk about it or who to talk to about it. Do you find that people reach out to you and want to engage with you about that?
0: Yeah. I mean, I definitely get like a lot of people messaging me or After events, they'll come up to me and they'll say like, you know, it helped them understand themselves or it's given them more confidence in being asexual or romantic or talking to their family or friends about it and things like that. Like I hear those kind of things that people spill their whole like life stories to me over like Instagram DMs and things like that. It's it's very sweet. It's hard to know how to respond, like what the best response is when people just tell you their life aside from because it's ending it like a thank you that's nice like it sounds it never really matches the emotional weight of what people are telling you but it's it's a strange phenomenon but it's very nice and it's nice to know that what i'm doing is making a difference to someone because that's pretty much the point in doing it are family and platonic relationships very important to you yeah i mean you know when people talk about friendships and they're kind of like oh well it could be more than that or, you know, like there's like a step higher. For me, there isn't a step higher. Like I don't see it as being like the secondary form to romantic relationships. It doesn't need to develop into anything more. It already is the more. So that inherently means that I focus more attention on that. And I just kind of, I value different kinds of bonds equally. And yeah, it doesn't necessarily mean that I, I it, I'm i still one of those people that takes ages to answer a message. But that's not because I like don't value it as much. I'm, I don't have like huge circles of friends because I'm not placing that energy into a romantic relationship. But I definitely, you know, I try and make sure all these relationships are pretty deep and long-term. So actually there is a lot to be got out of prioritizing
1: platonic relationships in terms of bonds and um, commitment and you know mutual experiences um maybe over romantic relationships
0: i mean yeah definitely i feel like you know friendships and platonic relationships are often kind of seen as being like a secondary type like it's like the step before the real thing and i've always found that to be quite unfortunate because you can have people that have like a great circle of friends but because they're single they feel like you know they're like less lovable or they're not as interesting or they're not as attractive like do you not see all the love that is going towards you right now just because it's not this type like i wish people could see the significance in platonic bonds and stuff as much and process that kind of like love and affection with the same significance as they would from someone that calls himself a boyfriend or a girlfriend or a partner because it still counts but i feel like it's not really prioritized on the relationship hierarchy as much but i think If people did, I think that'd be very beneficial for everybody.
1: Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, friends, I have friends with whom I have deep bonds, you know, who I care for really deeply. Uh, But when I've discussed this with single friends of mine, they've used this sort of terminology of, I want to be chosen. You know, I want to be picked. I want to be chosen above all others. There's this sort of, there's
0: this feeling that without this, I'm not complete. I mean, it sounds strange to me i don't know if people feel like it's strange when they're saying it but when you think about it it is it is straight it's like i mean inherently you're not even being picked above all others you're being picked above people that are in proximity to you at that point in time it's like it's not like you won out over everyone else in the world you know and even if, and you don't need to beat everybody in the world like love isn't a it's not a competition it's not like you know like i i know i find the way we're kind of taught to think about it it's so strangely competitive and it's so it places so much of your own value on someone else's perception of you which is most likely to be temporary anyway (laughs) and and it, it yeah it just seems strange to me and i think it's sad that people you know feel like that. it's like you've been chosen by so many people like look around you feels like it's from toy story <laughs> <been chosen? laughs> exactly it's like you're not on a shelf and again we use that phrase to refer to on people and it's like yeah. you're not objects in a supermarket <laughs> like you're human beings it's so strange the way it's been like commodified and that we're taught to like see each other like that and see relationships as being some kind of like performative like thing i've always found it so strange and i don't think it's healthy to i don't think it's healthy but that's still it's just how it's kind of conceptualized but i think we'd all do better if we unpacked that a bit more and thought about how it really sounds and what it says about ourselves and the people around us.
1: yeah i I, i've got friends that i was at school with when i was 10 you know but i don't have a boyfriend that i was with since i was 10 because that would be really weird but you know there are people that have known me for a long time and they know so much about me um, and my family and my father who died a long time ago. And I find that so nurturing. You know, it's really lovely that we've all known each other for so long and we have a real history with each other. And, you know, that, of course that's a very strong relationship, but it's platonic.
0: And our society doesn't even put the same value on it. Like it's, it's so, I've always found it kind of ironic that we place all of our like financial and like legal ties into the one relationship type which let's be honest is probably the most vulnerable relationship type (laughs) you could have it's like you have to kind of put your finances and like you know your security and all of these things are tied to your romantic relationships and marriage to a romantic partner when that's the only time where you have a literal phrase to describe the like that who that person is when their relationship ends like you don't go oh this was my ex-friend it's just a friend i might have fallen out of touch or we might get back in touch later you do not say oh this is an ex-friend but you'll say like an ex-boyfriend and it's like we've already entered this commitment knowing that there's like an end there's like a serious potential for an end game and yet this is the one we have to base everything on when we already know that the chances are it's not gonna be a forever thing i know i've always just found it so strange like for people that are irromantic, like I often hear people say like, oh, when my parents die, I don't know who my next of kin can be. You know, it's supposed to be a partner if I don't have kids. Like, what am I supposed to do? Like everything is so centered around your romantic partner. So that's like the most foolproof relationship you could ever have when you might have platonic relationships that would be way, you know, more substantial. But you're not taught to build as much from that relationship in terms of like, you know, maybe buy property together or any of those things like you're taught that you need to do that with a romantic partner and then have an argument over who gets to keep the dog in the end and it all seems (laughs) it's all so strange to me
1: you didn't know that when you were little so what i think you're saying at the beginning is that this is how it's always felt for you 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 saw your friends go off and you're like well that's not how i feel and now you've got to place where you, you can see it in this very broad sense
0: but I think even when I was younger, I still kind of had this feeling of like, this is, there's an, Im, there's an element of imitation in this behavior. It doesn't all feel entirely natural, but it's been presented as this natural instinct. But I'm sitting there thinking, you know, we're 10 years old and we're like, oh, we need to, we're going out with each other. We fancy each other. It's like, where are you going? What are we really feeling or are we just feeling like this is now what's kind of being marketed to us as an expectation of how we're supposed to behave? And now we're imitating the behaviors we're seeing because we feel like that's what we're supposed to be doing. Or, But then people are like, oh, this is just natural. This is just what, you're, what everyone is hardwired to do. But I'm thinking, I don't feel like everyone's doing it because this is 100% what they feel like they want to do. I think some people just do it because they feel like that's what they're supposed to be doing. And I very much got that sense at that age that I thought, I'm not convinced we all understand what this is. I think we're just doing it to do it. And as a teenager, I still felt, I feel like some of us were still doing this just to do it. And as an adult, I'm definitely like, some of us are still doing it just because we feel like that's what we're meant to be doing. And so I feel like I've always kind of had that sense. It's just the older I get, even more elements get added to that. So
1: if someone's listening to this and they relate to your story, where can they get advice and what resources are available to them?
0: Well, I mean, you can find me. I have a website, yasminbenoit.co.uk. My socials are at the Yasmin Benoit. You can Google me and find a bunch of articles and stuff. So Yasmin Benoit, you're the go-to person for, <laughs> for
1: a lot of information about this. If it resonates with anyone and they want to find out more, you're, you're the person to find <laughs> on the internet. <laughs>
0: i mean i suggest my stuff i mean there's um asexuality.org has resources um aromanticism.org has um resources but if you want to specifically find my stuff then that's where you'd find me if you're interested after listening to this
1: great thank you so much for coming on the podcast that was really interesting really interesting thank you a lot i really appreciate it
0: thank you thanks for having me So I found that really
1: fascinating. Um, I'm actually a very uh, sexual person, so I I do know that I am not asexual. But I absolutely hear that, you know, Yasmin is is very happy. And that also it's really helped me think about valuing my platonic relationships and how um, important they are to me and and, and to really hold that dear. And I think that's just been a very helpful thing to think about going forward. Thank you so much for joining me on today's episode of Later Data. Please subscribe or follow wherever you get your podcasts to hear the next instalment of where my Later Data adventures take me. And if you've enjoyed this, please rate or leave a lovely review. And if you want to find me online, it's easy and not that easy, but I'm at lucylovecoach.co.uk. And while you're there, please follow Aura Studios on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. See you next time. Later, daters.